Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. I'll read and then I'll invite Mwalimu to come and bring us God's word. But before I read it, let, let me just say a little for those who do not know him. Uh, so Keith Underhill has been a church in this church, uh, has been a pastor in this church for, sorry, has been a pastor in this church for 40 years. Um, he has been my pastor and he has been the pastor of uh, many of us here. Um, he came to Kenya in 1965, 68. He came to Kenya in 1968. Um, we always tend to push it to 65. Uh, uh, so he's been here uh, working here in Nairobi. He planted, the Lord used him to plant this church. Um, and he has also been used of the Lord and uh, to plant other congregations around this country. So we thank the Lord for him and uh, for what he's been able to do through him. Um, so let's turn to the word of God in First Peter chapter 1. I'll read verses 1 to 5. And I read, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Portus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Karibu Mwalimu and bring us God's word. Well, I'm sure you know what a joy it is for me to be with you, uh, see you face to face. Some of you I've only seen on Zoom. Some of you we've been together in fellowship for too long, uh, for which we thank the Lord. There are greetings from the church in Liverpool, UK, where uh, I worship and seek to contribute as a member of that church. So I hope you receive uh, those greetings, including Cliff Barton, who many of you know. Yes? Thank you. Your greetings are a part of biblical Christianity, aren't they? So as you read the letters of Paul, you read 
greetings back and forth because we uh, honor one another as those who are in Christ. As you know, uh, a few of us were in North Pokot, that sub-county, way in northwest Kenya, for eight days. Please pray for them. There are tremendous opportunities. There are 13 or 14 churches. There are 13 primary schools that we sponsor. And there are three secondary schools that Trinity Baptist Church sponsors. So we just sung, send thou to every place, didn't we? One of those places is Pocot North. There are four trained men, well, if I could say three and a half, there were three who finished the TPC and one uh, didn't finish. And there's one amongst us this morning uh, from Kapkewa. Uh, uh, there are tremendous opportunities. Can you imagine the couple of thousand children who could be spoken to of the gospel every, every day, every PPI lesson in primary school? to make a real impact in that part of this country. So I do commend that to you. Now, as we journeyed along, we had one or two problems. As we were coming down from Kasei to Kamketo, we noticed smoke from the engine. And we quickly rushed to uh, get the fire extinguisher. It's good that cars have fire extinguishers, by the way, because it was so useful to put it out. But of course, we didn't know what damage it had done because it really came from a short in the, uh, the battery. Had it affected the electricals, et cetera, et cetera. Would we reach Camketo, let alone Nairobi? And then while we were in Kamketa just the other day, we heard of a diesel shortage and the gauge in the car read almost E. So uh, would we be able to get to Nairobi? Uh, we, if I say we didn't know, you know what I mean. And then as we traveled along towards Nairobi, there were some vibrations and rattles and we wondered what was going on. Would we reach Nairobi? That was the, the question I suppose we could have asked ourselves. Why am I telling you that? I'm not telling you because those are problems you have on safaris, but it is what you have. It's that many of you have the same problem as you look forward in the Christian life. Some of you wonder, as Christians, will I actually reach my destination? There are so many trials and temptations. Will I make it to the end? Then there are some of you here who are not yet Christians. And one of the reasons 
why you have not committed yourself fully to Christ is, you say, if I come to Christ today, can I keep it up tomorrow and the next day and next year as long as God gives me life in this world? After all, you can look around, maybe in your own family, people you were with at school, and you say, I know many people who started the Christian journey, but they have not finished. They have bowed out. They're no longer professing Christ as their Savior. And it's a good question for you to ask, by the way. Will I make it? Even Jesus challenged us to consider that question. Do you remember in Luke chapter 14, where there were great crowds following him? Uh, today, the, uh, the evangelist, the preacher would be, oh, isn't that wonderful? I've got thousands following me. I'm, I'm made. That's not the way Jesus saw it. He turned to them and said, Unless you hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sisters and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Unless you take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Jesus said, there is a cost to be paid if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you able to bear it? Well, maybe you don't know the answer. But there's one thing that's sure, my friends. If you don't begin the Christian life, you certainly won't finish it, will you? Even if you're in doubt, if you begin, whether you will finish, at least you've begun. When you enter studies, are you quite sure you will pass at the end? You are not, are you? Because there are people who fail and don't get their uh, paper qualifications. When you apply for jobs, are you sure that you'll get the job? You are not, are you? But you apply nonetheless. And the hope that sooner or later, one of them will be uh, successful. Thank God that's not true with the Christian life. Thank God it actually doesn't depend on you. So you're going to begin, we, we'll think of the Christian life as a race. You're going to start the race. But God is not in the stands just saying, keep going, keep going. He's not a spectator. God is with you. Indeed, God personally guarantees that all who truly begin the Christian life will finish. And that's the good news I have for you this morning to encourage you. Because you may be asking, if I become a Christian, can I persevere? 
What I want to do first of all, just read to you some verses from the Bible, and then we're going to look at one in particular to answer in the affirmative, 100% certainty. Yes. Okay. John chapter 10, Gospel of John. Chapter 10. There are those who did not believe, but to those who believe, this is what Jesus said. Verse 27 of John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Look at those glorious words in Romans chapter 8. And I read these because maybe some of you are not familiar with these words. Oh, you need to know the Bible in order to answer this question, don't you? Romans 8, from verse 35. See, here's some questions. Actually, it's the same question, really, as what's on the, on the screen here. Verse 35 of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, verse 37, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 1, next book of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 7, chapter 1 talks about the revealing, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 8 says about the Lord Jesus, who will sustain you to the end. He will sustain you, will keep you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful. He will do it. And finally, Philippians chapter 1, and verse 6, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul has a certainty. He says, I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. My friends, when you become a Christian, don't say that I did it. It's God who did it. 
And if he started it, he will complete it. That's what the Word of God says. So we are now this morning going to look specifically at 1 Peter, passage we read, chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The first thing I want to say to you is that God promises to guard you. That's the promise of God. He will keep, he will guard his own. Now, Peter's writing to Christians who have been scattered like refugees. You can see that in verse 1. They're the elect exiles of the dispersion. They've been dispersed like people flee from their, their countries. And these Christians are having to undergo various trials. You see in verse 6, it says, Now for a little while... You have been grieved by various trials. And to help them, I mean, they've got this double problem. It's bad enough to be a refugee, isn't it, away from your own country. But they've got persecution that they've got to bear. So Peter wants to remind them of their great privileges in Jesus Christ. Especially the future inheritance that they have. So he talks about the living hope in verse 3 that they have. That hope, verse 4, of an inheritance so great, he describes it as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's there. It's waiting for them as they complete the journey. But you see, this is the problem. It's wonderful for me to know that today, sometime in the future, there's an inheritance for me. But will I get there? That's the question. And that's the question even Peter deals with here. God is going to guard us. So verse 5 says, who by God's power are being guarded. It's a, a present tense. It's not a one-time action. It's a daily, constant guarding of God in view of that inheritance. That word was used of the city of Damascus when Paul was inside it. It's a city surrounded by uh, a big war, as ancient cities were. And they wanted to arrest Paul. He was somewhere in the city. So they guarded the walls. No one was going to get out of the, the gates of that city. And Paul was going to be found. You might remember, remember then he was let down very uh, ignominiously in a basket. And uh, he escaped. But God promises to uh, keep us, to, 
to guard us. He will not let our enemies get hold of us. Because we do have enemies, don't we? We do have those who want to prevent us from continuing to be Christians. We, of course, uh, have the devil. That ancient serpent. We have the world outside us. And we have our flesh, our indwelling sin, like a traitor within us. We considered earlier temptation. How many temptations are dangled before us that we might eat like uh, even Adam ate? How many troubles are brought to us in our lives to make us uh, give up? And so we say, how is it possible to triumph? Well, God promises to guard you. Now, you may not understand exactly how he does it, but he does it because he's promised to do it. He's not only promised to keep the inheritance for me to receive, but he's promised to guard me so that one day I shall enjoy that inheritance. You know, an inheritance is only something to be looked forward to if you're sure you're going to receive it. If you're not sure, well, it doesn't give you much joy of anticipation, does it? But if you know that your father has promised you, son, what you see in front of you now, it's yours when I'm gone. That is a, a wonderfully comforting thing in, in worldly terms. Now, let's be careful. This does not mean that your life will be a life of ease because God is guiding you. That's what many people think. Well, if God is guiding me, everything's just going to be fine. It doesn't mean that you'll have a solution to every problem. It doesn't mean you'll have success in every undertaking that you do. You know that's not true. That's not true according to anyone's experience. The guarding has one purpose, that that salvation, that full inheritance that God is going to bring, it will be yours on that great day. So anything that could possibly take that inheritance away from you, God is guarding you against it. My dear Christian, this is the wonderful promise and guarantee of God for every Christian. Please take heart. Instead of your steps becoming weaker and shorter, may your steps forward today and tomorrow be all the bolder, knowing that you will reach the end. Why? Because God has said you will. But there's a second thing here that we must consider. We could put it as a question. 
To whom has God made this promise? But let's make it a statement. Number two. He will guard all who have faith. All who believe, who have faith in the Lord Jesus, receive this promise of being guarded. Because this is where some of you, I'm sure, have difficulty. Because you say, Pastor, it's all very well you telling me that God guards, but in my experience, I've seen people who it seems to me have not been guarded. I've witnessed many who today profess to be saved, or I should say yesterday, and then today they completely fall away. You know people like that, don't you? We all know them. People who were once part of this church, and now they're in the world. They don't care about Jesus Christ anymore. You know people from your school days. You know people in your family. And that becomes a problem to many because that's before your very eyes. And that's more powerful than a written promise, perhaps. Or at least it makes you doubt whether you've understood the promise uh, properly. So I want to tell you that as you read the Bible, the Bible knows very well that there are those who profess faith who do not truly believe. In other words, there's a true faith and there's a false faith. It's no surprise. Do you remember the parable of the sower? And there's a seed that fell on the rocky ground. And Jesus says, oh, these are people who hear the, the word of the gospel. And they're so happy. They say, this is just what I wanted. And they profess faith. But after a little while, Jesus says, when there's persecution, when there are trials on account of the word, they fall away. That plant which begins to grow dies. There's no fruit. They were never truly Christians. So if you see those falling away, you haven't seen a true believer falling away. You've seen a false professor of Christianity falling away. And that's so common, isn't it? Because... We have these big meetings, these big crusades, there's lovely singing and music, there's all the encouragement to come forward. Some people are planted to come forward first, to encourage others to come forward, and then they're told to pray, and they pray, and they're assured they're Christians. They've just been hyped up by the meeting. It's emotional. They thought that that emotion would stay with them the rest of their lives, but of course it doesn't. Because sooner or later, trials come. And they say, this isn't what I signed up for. This wasn't in the contract. I thought I was just going to get blessing, blessing, blessing. And so they fall away. 
Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 7. It's been recently preached on here. He says, There'll be many in that day who will say to me, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I did many mighty works in your name. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Here are people who say, Lord, Lord. It appears that they have continued in their profession until the day of judgment, thinking that they're true Christians. But they aren't. Why? Because they are doers of evil. Now, please note Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. A person can display spiritual gifts. This is frightening, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say, you're a liar, you didn't prophesy. didn't say that. Or you're a liar, you didn't do mighty works. He said, you're an evildoer. You're not a doer of righteousness. And so those who profess to be Christians, but they live like the world, that's a false profession of faith, isn't it? Then, of course, these are all linked together anyway. There are those who learn about Christianity through their parents. They grow up with an outward faith. They get baptized. They become a member of the church. They look very moral. They've got the biblical language. But in their hearts, there's no real trusting in Christ. Now, Peter is not writing to any of these three groups. Look who he's writing to in verse 2. These are people who are chosen. Verse 2, they're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, in, uh, of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. These are people whom God chose in his foreknowledge. It's a biblical truth. He set them apart to belong to him, that sanctification of the Spirit. They are washed of their sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they have been totally changed because now they are obedient to Jesus Christ. So what you've got to ask yourself this morning, my friend, is am I a true believer? You live in a society where it's not a bad thing to call yourself a Christian. It's probably an, a fairly honourable thing to be called a Christian. At least you won't suffer for it, at least not here in most of Nairobi. But are you sure that you have genuine faith as opposed to this false faith? So let me press it upon you. How can you be sure? 
that you have true faith so that this promise of God to be guarded is true of you. Well, is Christ your saviour? You know that you are a sinner. You know you've broken God's commandments from the womb, from infancy. You know you need to be forgiven. You know you need a sacrifice to forgive you. That's the whole of the Bible, isn't it? From the very beginning, when sin entered the world, the way of entering into God's presence was sacrifice. So in what are you trusting that God may forgive you and finally receive you into glory? Well, there in Liverpool, you ask somebody, uh, what's your hope? Oh, well, I try to do good. I mean, honestly, over and over again, that's what I've heard. I live a pretty good life. and I'm sure God will be kind in the end. Well, that's not Christianity, is it? Why did Christ come if you can do it yourself? Christ came because you can't do it yourself. You need him fully, only. <laughs> so, is that you? Have you turned away from your sin and said, Lord, I want to live a godly life that pleases you, but I can't. And I know I need to be cleansed of my sin and I can't wash myself of sin. Lord, it's only your son, Jesus Christ, whom you gave that I'm trusting in. Is that you? That's what it means to be a Christian. The one who looks to Christ alone. You're like the tax collector in the parable. The Pharisee said, God, I thank you. I'm not like others. Look what they've done. Look how, how I excel in religion. He wasn't justified. He wasn't accepted by God. But the tax collector came, beating his breast. His head was down in shame. He stood far back from the front, right there in the corner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And how do you know God's merciful? Because he sent his son, Jesus Christ to die for sinners like ourselves. But there's something more than that. Is Jesus your Lord? He is the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? He has come not simply to wash you from your sin and make you a new person, but he's come that you might lead a new life. Whereas before you lived in sin, now he saved you so that you can live in righteousness, in, in obedience. Your life is transformed on a daily basis. Is that you? Are you committed to total obedience to Christ? Now, you haven't attained it. You can say, yes, I, I sin so much. Yes, you do. But in your heart, is it the Lord Jesus Christ as he's revealed himself in the scriptures, is that what you want to follow? Though you fall and you have to get up and you fall again and you have to get up, do you get up and keep following? Then you're a Christian. 
You're Christian if Jesus is your saviour. And if he's everything to you in your life. So this promise is for you. He will guard you if you believe on him. The third thing I want to bring to you, again, it can be put as a question, how will God do this, you ask? You know, it seems, it seems impossible. I'm so weak. How can I possibly fight against all my enemies, all the difficulties of life? I've seen so many fall away. How can I do it? Well, the answer is, God is able to guard you. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Look at verse 5. Who by God's power are guarded through faith. That's the answer. You don't trust yourself for salvation. And you don't trust yourself for the Christian life either. God doesn't leave it to us or to any other power. It's God's power. This unchangeable, almighty power is on our side to guard us unto the end. So let me ask you some questions here then. Can the devil... Our great enemy, our arch enemy, can the devil pluck us from God's hand? There's a lot of emphasis on the devil today. It's almost as if he's as powerful as God and there's a fight between them and we're not quite sure of what the outcome is going to be. Oh no. The devil can't do anything except by God's permission. Just read the book of Job. The devil has to say to God, you know, your servant Job is only serving you for what you give him. Uh, take away his possessions and he'll curse you. That didn't work. Take away his health and he'll curse you. That didn't work either. God gave him permission to do it. The devil is in God's hands. If you read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, as Pilgrim the Christian, as he walks on his journey, ahead of him in the path, he sees two lions. They're fearsome creatures. But he knows he's got to get past them to go to the next stage of the journey. You just read the book, Pilgrim's Progress, you'll find out about it. As he gets near the lions, they are growling and leaping at him. But he sees that they're both chained. And if, if this is the path here, yeah, the lion can come here and the lion can come here. He can just squeeze through because God is guarding him, we may say, from the lions. They can't actually come and uh, mangle him. Jesus broke the power of Satan at the cross. 
It's one of the things he did. You can read Hebrews chapter 2. Him who has the power of death because of sin. That's the devil. Christ defeated him through his death. When Jesus cast out evil spirits, that showed his victory over Satan. Jesus is the king, not Satan. If Jesus promises to keep you, Satan cannot destroy you. He has no power or authority to do that. So you say, oh, well, okay, the devil can't pluck me from God's hand. But what about the world? The world is powerful, isn't it? Particularly in our day. Uh, you drive along the road and there are these big billboards. Wow. You can't miss them. Advertising boards. But you're on that little thing uh, in your hand. And how many adverts come there? The world is constantly trying to say, you need this, you need that, you can get this. This is cheap. This is the thing you've been lacking, isn't it? That's the way they make their money, through adverts. It works because the world is powerful. But can the world pluck you from God's hand? The world is powerful to oppose you. Sometimes the world is like an angel of light telling you, oh, this is the good way. You, you follow this. This is what you need. Sometimes Peter says later in his letter, the world is like a roaring lion uh, seeking whom it may devour. Can you possibly stand against it? Well, just consider this. Proverbs 21, 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of living water, he turns it wheresoever he will. It's like the irrigation uh, ditches up there um, in Moya. You put the sluice down with a, um, a handle and the water goes another place. That's how God deals with uh, king kings. Not with lowly people like ourselves, with kings. Think of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of kings, the great king. God said, you will eat grass like an ox for seven times. There was nothing Nebuchadnezzar could do about it. He ate grass like an ox for seven times. Now, if God has the king's heart in his hand, how is the world going to defeat you? You can't be plucked from God's hand uh, uh, by the world. Well, then you say, because this is the way we argue, isn't it? Okay. I accept that the devil can't do it. I accept that the world can't do it. But I still got one problem. I've got the sin within me. And I, I remember vividly uh, back in the 70s when I was in Thika, uh, a dear Christian man agreeing so far, but he said, I can take myself out of God's hand, is what he told me. Is that true? Can I do that? Can I depart from Christ? 
Can my indwelling sin make me depart from Christ? And thank God the answer is no, a thousand times no, it can't. Why? Do you not know what happened to you when you became a Christian? It wasn't so much that you believed, that you repented. It's that God worked in your heart. You were born again of the Spirit of God. That's in verse 3 here. It's God who worked in you when you became a Christian. You're a new creation of God. Just using biblical language. God raised you from your spiritual death. And because God did that, you are a changed person. Your flesh, your indwelling sin, no longer rules in you. Sin will have no dominion or power, final power over you, Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24 says this, those who belong to Christ, Christians, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Will you notice the language, please? They have crucified. It is crucified. Now, if you're crucified, what does that mean? It means you're dead, doesn't it? I mean, there's nobody who's crucified who emerges the other side alive. It may take a day or two, but crucifixion is a guarantee of death. So, when you become a Christian, by the working of God, then the flesh with its passions and desires are crucified, and that means they no longer have determining power in your life. Thank God for the change he brings when we become Christians. But perhaps you've still got one thing to, to ask and to object to. You say, well, what happens when my faith fails? Will my faith fail? I feel my faith. Yes, it's here today. But I feel it can so easily become unbelief. In fact, we say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We know how weak our faith is. And it's, it's like a smoldering piece of wood that can so easily die out. So what I want to tell you is this. Your faith cannot fail if you're a true Christian. Please hear me. It cannot fail. Why is that? Because even your faith depends on the power of God. And that's what verse 5 says. Who by God's power are guarded through faith. It is God's power 
that enabled you to believe in the first place, isn't it? I mean, there you were. You're an unbeliever. You loved the world. You loved your sin. Yeah, you threw religion into it. But basically, you loved your lifestyle. You were a lost sheep. What changed you? Was it you? No. God brought his word to you, didn't he? In one way or another. And a change came in you. Suddenly or gradually, you began to see that your lifestyle was a sinful lifestyle against God. Why did you think that way? There's only one answer. It was God working in you. It was the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin because that's his work. And so you see, from the very beginning of your Christian experience, your view of yourself and your faith in the Lord was something that God inspired. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 talks about we're saved by grace through faith and that is a gift of God, not of yourselves. So if God enabled you to believe in the first place when you're a sinner, can he not enable you to believe as a Christian? Well, he can and he will. You must keep believing. God will enable you to keep believing. So I want to speak then to you finally. You're here. We're so happy you're here. I don't know you, but in a group of this size, surely there are some of you who you're still holding back. You say, I want to become a Christian, but I just, I just don't know. I've seen my father, I've seen my mother, I've seen my brothers and sisters. They took, as it were, that step of faith, but they drew back after a while. I think it's probably going to happen to me. I'm too, too afraid to go forward. Let me give you two scenarios. Here you have a home. You want to secure your home. You want to build a, a metal gate, maybe. You want to put... In the 1990s, you know, we, we didn't have these things here. Maybe you're too young to, to know that. But in the house where I lived here, we just had wooden doors. Then somebody broke in the house. So immediately uh, the metal door comes, doesn't it, along with the wooden door for extra security. We always had, uh, like here, the... Um, uh, what do you call them? These things on the window. The bars on the window. Uh, so people can't get in. We don't have those in UK, by the way. Or metal doors in UK. Um, but here, when you want security, you have choices to make, don't you? But you don't have to make it right now. You can make it tomorrow. You've got to save up money. And all the rest of it. Because you want to remain in your home. You have a goal. But that's not the sort of choice that is before you this morning, my friend. That's not a very urgent choice, unless you knew the thieves are coming tonight. Your choice is like a person in a sinking ship. There you are. 
on the Indian Ocean. Outside the reef in Mombasa, your ship is sinking. It's certainly going down. It's filling with water. It's already on one side. And there's a small boat that's coming to rescue you. And you look at that small boat and you say, can that boat really get me to shore? And you've got uh, these questions that make you perhaps a dilly-dally. Or if it was because of a storm that the ship was sinking, you say, can that boat, can that survive the storm? Maybe if I get into the small boat, I will also perish. But you must get into the small boat, mustn't you? Otherwise, you will certainly perish because your boat is sinking and in a few minutes, it will be beneath the waves. And that's the choice you have. Yes, you can keep questioning and say, I'm not sure. Can I persevere? You can even ask, can God keep me? But if you keep on the sinking ship of your life, know on the day of judgment, you will have no hope whatsoever. You must cast yourself on Christ with all your doubting. You won't be the first one to do that, will you? Where else will you go, my friend? There's that small boat. There isn't any other choice. To which man can you go? To which priest can you go to be sure of salvation? There are none. What promises can you make for the future which will cleanse you from your past sin and keep you from sin in the future? It's all emptiness, hopelessness. There's only one. It's he who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like jumping into that small boat, cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that you've heard this morning says, he will save you. He will keep you. And that glorious inheritance which is promised to his people, it will be yours. Ask yourself upon him, call upon him this morning. Ask him to save you. It's his work, my friend. And he who begins a good work in you will complete it in the day of his return. May the Lord bless each one of us. May we be granted this certainty that we might run the Christian race with boldness, trusting in him. Let us pray. Lord, we pray for those who are filled with questions and who can never arrive at an answer. Please help them to get such a sight of the Lord Jesus Christ who came for sinners that we might be saved and saved eternally. Help them to get such a sight of your power by your Holy Spirit, 
to know that to all who come to you, you grant that immeasurably great power at work in us to change us and to keep us to the end. Grant, Lord, that we who are your people have gone through tough times of one kind or another in whom doubts have begun to arise. May this assurance grip us once again that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No, not anything else in all of creation. Hear us as we pray, Lord, for these gracious blessings upon us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.